You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to a new edition of the Valentine's News podcast here on Big Blue View Radio. And as we get closer and closer to the NFL draft, we know that your New York Giants are looking at uh, positions on offense like uh, like wide receiver, like perhaps running back and perhaps tight end, and even perhaps quarterback on day three of the of the NFL draft and uh, the person in the draft community who, who knows those positions better than just about anyone is the great Matt Waldman of the rookie scouting portfolio. And now that Matt has come up for air with the publication of the 2023 guide, he's been kind enough to join us uh, on the program. So Matt, how you doing? And, and thank you much for the time. Hey, Ed, it's a pleasure, and thanks so much for uh, for having me. It's I always look forward to doing this every year um, when we get to talk about players, and sometimes we get some surprises. I think last year we were talking about Richie James a little bit, and he was a pleasant surprise for the for the, for the Giants last year. Yes, he was, and uh, you know, your guide is what is it a thousand pages, something like that? <laughs> yeah. And, and and it's it, it's insanity. It's a it's a labor of love. It's great stuff. And 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 as much as I love it, I get mad every year when I read it. I get mad because <laughs> I realize just how much I don't know and how many players I don't know anything about. You're killing me. <laughs> well, it's well, it's funny because it, it makes it easy because I only focus on four positions. If I, you know, I could compare myself. We can always compare our stuff to everybody else. I can compare myself to the people who are doing draft guides on like every position. And you know, I get on a show and somebody's like, "Well, let's talk offensive line." I said, "I spend all my time on four positions, so you might want to yeah. you, you might yeah. want to limit it to that because I'm not going to be able to tell you anything about say, oh, I don't know, Jack Campbell out of Iowa, who apparently is a very good linebacker." So there you go. And uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I one of the things that I always appreciate, and you are very clear about this in your guide, is. You have your process, you have your study, you have your way that you do things. And and, and you're kind of like a hermit in a way when you come to yep. doing this process. You don't pay attention really to what the quote unquote, you know, media driven draft community might say about players. You sort of come up for air and and compare your rankings after the fact. And I love the idea. Emory Hunt of Football Game Plan and now CBS is a little bit the same way. Yep. And what I love is that you that guys like you, you stand on your own work. You stand on your own opinion. You're you're not guided by what everybody else thinks. And I love that. I appreciate that. And it's, it's something that 
I'm definitely proud of because it's not always easy to do in today's um, media with everything going on when you're trying to, you know, promote your work, get people to read it, get people to learn about what you're doing. And you see different opinions out there. But at the end of the day, what you realize with perspective is that when you're scouting players, you're trying to learn. You're trying to learn about the game. You're trying to learn about how to evaluate um, the best way possible. And if you don't, you don't understand other people's process, unless you're working with them day in and day out and working and doing their process as well, you really don't know. So if someone like Lance Zerline or Dane Brugler or a number of guys I respect in the community who Emery, you know, who if they come up with a, a certain they have a certain opinion on someone that differs wildly from myself. Um, I really don't know how they arrived at that. Even if they explain it, I don't know how they score, how they define certain things. And I spent, you know, well over a decade as an operations manager and a, and a quality director at a company with about 10,000 employees where I had to implement processes and implement um, ways of, of monitoring and evaluating performance. And, you, you would find that people had high levels of expertise, but the way they defined things was very different. So if you, it's in a way, it's kind of like getting lost in the forest. If you don't have your own compass, you know, and you hear something in the distance and you start following that, what you may have walked into was a black bear, you know, as opposed <laughs> to like a highway. Um, so you, you really have to know, you're going to learn more following your own process and you're going to learn quicker. Absolutely. So, Hey, let's get into, let's get into the four positions, wide receiver, quarterback, running back, tight end, and need to start at wide receiver for the giants. And, and before we start with, uh, you know, looking at, at prospects, I want to ask you, what you think of what the Giants have already done at the receiver position. And let's include Darren Waller in that. Trading for Darren Waller, adding Paris Campbell, not a big-time free agent, but a nice player from the Indianapolis Colts, bringing back Darius Slayton. Just your thoughts on, on what they've done there already. I think they did a good job because, first of all, Darren Waller is a matchup specialty type of player. I mean, you can now you've got a player who you can keep a guy like Bellinger in line, let him block, let him leak out to the flats, use him on shallow crosses, play action, work to the flats, and he's going to be a nice runner for you. And then you, but you get a, you give yourself a little bit more of a chance to be multiple because you can put Darren Waller in line on certain plays or you use two tight ends in, in different way, in different alignments to make it harder for the defense. But on top of that, you can detach him from the line, as we all know, and he's going to match up against corners and be a matchup um, advantage because of his, his height and his length. So you've got a big play option there who, who's officially, who's really like your split end. I mean, so you can really use them as your split end, but you can move them around. Then I, I like I like for Paris Campbell the fit where he is because you know with Brian Dable, um, you've you've get kind of levels to your offense where you have 
players working at different levels across the field. Um, that's one of the things that he's always liked to do. And when you can have receivers who have good speed, who run crossing routes and over routes, you you give your quarterback um, more options where even if the pocket starts to get crowded, those receivers are trailing or following along in the manner of where they're breaking the pocket. And it's a little bit easier. They don't have to reroute as often. Um when you're working a lot of concepts with levels. So he fits into that because he's a good yards after the catch player. Certainly he can get deep, um, but you can really use him in a manner where he works across. And Slayton, you get continuity. You know, certainly Slayton played well last year, I thought, overall. Um, and he was probably the wisest choice if you're going to keep any of the guys that kind of filled in um, off the depth chart. And, and played well. Slayton was the big play guy, I think. I mean, certainly you can look at Richie James and talk about some of the things that that he did, but um, I think that they felt like that they could they could stick with Slayton. They could find somebody comparable to James on, on a certain level for what they do in the offense. Absolutely, and as we frame a discussion about wide receivers in the Giants, it's interesting because at the Combine, I had an opportunity to ask GM Joe Shane about the wide receiver room and people use the what I refer to as the basketball theory of building a wide receiver room of having different shapes different sizes different body types all of that and and in a way Darren Waller took care of that but what Joe Shane said is he doesn't care and Brian Dable doesn't care what what guys look like how big they are how fast they run. He said, what they care about is can they separate? Can they get open? So, you know, and, and, and I, I think probably as the giants look to add wide receivers, my guess is those are the kinds of guys that, that they'll be looking for. And what you said about Brian Dable, I mean, does that, does that kind of an answer surprise you at all that what he cares about is separation more than anything else? Oh, because you look at Stefan Diggs and saw what he became as a, as well, the fourth or fifth round slot receiver from the Vikings coming over to, to Buffalo and, and getting a chance to, to be the man and be an elite um, player. He's had him, he's brought Emmanuel Sanders over. I, well, he didn't bring Emmanuel. Yeah, he brought Emmanuel Sanders over um, his final year in Buffalo as well. Um, kind of a average height, thinner guy. Um, so, I look at this and and I think that makes total sense because really having a, at the end of the day, you want skilled players. Skilled players understand how to position themselves to the football. And if you understand how to position yourself to the football in tight coverage, you can play taller than you do. There are receivers in this draft class who are who you look at them, and I'm just going to give a name, throw a name out there, Quentin Johnston, who is highly regarded, and he certainly has earned a starter grade for me, but he's a 6'3 receiver, and you think, well, this is a guy that's going to maximize his height on jump balls and contested catches, and when you watch his game, he doesn't know how to position his hands to the football in those types of scenarios, so what ends up happening is it's just like the 6'6 quarterback who throws sidearm on every throw. They 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 don't maximize their their height. And so when you have 
there are a lot of times that when we see young players into the league, teams will get very excited about their size and their speed, but they don't have the technique, the positioning, the ingrained skills to maximize those physical traits. And then, and then you have guys who do maximize those physical traits. They happen to have good vertical skill, you know, vertical leaping ability. They have good quickness. They're precise with their footwork. And as a result, they win targets that you wouldn't expect from, say, a, you know, a 5'11", 183-pound guy like Marvin Mims or a Jaden Reed at Michigan State who's 5'11", and just under 190. It's interesting because as I've considered, you know, Quentin Johnston and I've had concerns about Johnston. I understand the size and the the athletic ability and all of those things. And I think that that reading your guide and you know, and, and you know what you had to say about Johnston, I think I understand why I had those concerns you know, more than I did previously, because to me, he's, he's a guy that just doesn't maximize the physical gifts that he has. And, and I found it interesting that you give him a starter grade, but I think you also said you'd be perfectly happy to draft him in the third round. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cause he's, I, my, my grades on a hundred point system and anything over an 85 in my scoring system is a starter. And he's at an 84, Point two, so he's just shy of like an immediate starter. Um, so those guys that are in the tier that he 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 kind of kicks off are players that if you use them to what they do well, they can deliver starter production for you if the that fits the system. So with Quentin Johnston, he's very much a a run slants, he runs curls, he's a good route runner, and if you put him in situations where he's going to be kind of working on timing routes and space underneath zone coverage or off-man coverage, or he can get early separation and doesn't need to be contested, he tends to, he, he plays well. He breaks tackles. He's good in that regard. There's a little bit of Kevin White to him, the former West Virginia Mountaineer who had too many injuries to really get his career off the ground. Um, and then he's built a lot like Braylon Edwards, the former Cleveland Brown, former Michigan um, star. And so you you could see how he could be, say, your possession plus wide receiver who can occasionally, you know, who can get separation and win in the vertical game. But is he going to be that primary guy who earns the contested tight coverage plays against the top option at the boundary? Right now, that's the big question mark with him. And I agree with you, like based on expectation with him, it's it's hard to look at players who drop the ball a lot and and the thing is is that while statistically they'll tell you drops don't mean as much as as they seem and I think that there's some truth to that. I talked to somebody like um, Dwayne McFarlane who you know was recently at um, Pro Football Focus and who used to write for me and and Dwayne and I've had discussions about drops and one of our theories that we've kind of shared is while they don't mean as much statistically as some people think um, there may be certain types of drops that are more concerning than others and for my theory guys like Brandon Marshall and Terrell Owens back in the day when they were too much in a hurry to turn up field and they didn't look the ball in that was a concentration drop those don't bother me so much the, the ones that bother me are the ones that you see Gabriel Davis have with the Buffalo Bills 
where um and even that's manageable because you can see that he's had good production for his team they seem to use him in a manner where we're okay with your 50 percent catch rate um or 51 percent career catch rate but the problem is is they clap onto the ball instead of their hands coming up together and you have your thumbs and your fingertips together so that the ball's entering that web of your hands and making contact so that you have you know as many digits as possible basically stopping the spin in a very precise manner these guys are coming up and then they're having to clap and sometimes they're clapping with their palms or with their fingertips and it disrupts it because now they're hitting the ball it's like a little kid who's learning how to catch and sometimes you miss it. You Sometimes you just completely miss the ball because it's harder to catch it when doing this rather than just letting it hit your hands and then you putting your fingers around it. It's more precise this way. And a lot of players have this issue, but it, it's the degree that in which they have it. The good thing about Quentin Johnston is that while he has these issues and whether to use underhand or um, overhand technique based on where the trajectory of the ball is, excuse me, is that they... Um, is that on top of that, he is learning to do it the right way. He just doesn't look comfortable doing it yet. And the guy I remember who was in that same situation was Robert Meacham, back in the, the Tennessee star who got drafted by in the first or second round by the Saints during the Drew Brees era. You know, similar size guy, maybe a little bigger, speed, all of that. Had really one notable year. And you could see at Tennessee, he was trying to learn the right way and could never really fi figure it out. And that's my concern with Johnston. You know, on the good side, I'll end it with Quincy Newton of the New York Jets. When he came out of Nebraska, when you watch him catch a ball at Nebraska, I literally saw him try to catch a ball with his <laughs> wrist crossed up in the air on a seam route. And I have my have the backs of my hands facing each other as I'm showing this to Ed, if you're not on YouTube looking at this. And I literally saw him try and do that once. To his credit, during his first year, he worked at, on the jugs machine every day, focusing on, okay, if the ball's over my chest, just like in high school or pop Warner, hands in the diamond position. If, the, if it's below my chest, you know, pinkies together hands up and just worked on that slowly until it became second nature. And he told the media that's what he did to correct his hands. And if he hadn't had a neck injury, he probably would have been a pretty strong contributor for them for a number of years. Interesting stuff. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What I want to talk about, Giants have the 25th pick, and I'm in the middle of working on some what we call making the case type pieces. And and what I'm working on right now is a piece on whether the Giants should, if they don't want to stay at 25, whether they should trade up or trade down. And what I found is the 25th pick in the draft has been traded six years in a row, which is wow. crazy. But so the question for the Giants who have 10 picks is whether they should trade up and whether there is, you know, for, for our purposes, is there a wide receiver who is, you know, far enough above the other guys that you would bang the table and say, yeah, we've got to go up to 17 or 18 or whatever. We've got to go up and get this guy if he's still there. So my question for you is, if there's that one guy in this class that you would bang the table for and say, you've got to go get that guy, you know, who would it be? Well, I think or is there, there a guy or is I there think, a guy? I think there is a guy and I think that he could fit in what the giants do. And I think that it would be someone that would be, that would give you the, um, versatility to to remain multiple and probably that player would be zay flowers out of boston college yes yes <laughs> i'm smart i feel smart now because i have been banging the zay flowers table for a while as as my guy as my favorite out of the receivers in this group that's it's a great choice ed because <laughs> i mean you get a player who can play all three positions and that's the thing like i love jackson smith and jigba out of ohio state but when you look at what that offense is about, you want a player who's going to be able to play inside and outside. And while I think Njigba can do that to an extent, he can't. He's not going to be able to do it with the level of um, explosion and vertical stretching ability that Zay Flowers can. And so with Flowers, you have a player who his hands need a little bit of work, but they're nothing that you're going to get too extremely worried about. And he's in that comparison tier where he's. He's not far away from what Jalen Waddle offers the um, the Miami Dolphins, uh, and so Flowers can go up and get it. He's terrific after the catch. He has good routes. He's quick feet. He's explosive. He's going to give you skills in the open field. He can fit that Stefan Diggs role if we're going to do one to one comparisons between what Brian Dable had in Buffalo and what he's going, what Daniel Jones is going to have or will hopefully have in New York. It's it's interesting because I think he's five foot nine, and I think that he's got twenty nine plus inch arms, and the 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 twenty nine plus inch arms bother me a little bit. But what I'm trying to come to terms with is that I'm a little bit traditional, and I'm a guy that that you know the traditional NFL. You like the size. You wish everybody was as big as Jamar Chase and T Higgins. 
Right. But the the reality of it is that I think when it comes to receivers in the NFL, we're seeing more and more of the Devontae Smith types, the Waddle types, the Tyreek Hill types, the smaller guys, the faster guys. We're seeing more and more of those guys have real success in, in the NFL. So when I think about Zay Flowers and, and those guys, maybe I just need to get over the fact that he's 5'9 and change. Hey, you know, I, I, I'll make a good argument for you on this level is that a guy who's about our age right now who played in the NFL, um, you know, about 25 years ago, um, and he uh, he's six feet, so he's a few inches taller than Zay. But he was, he, he was about 180. And he came out of Memphis, and he had a heck of a career by the name of Isaac Bruce. And there's a lot of Isaac Bruce to Zay Flowers' game. So while maybe Isaac Bruce and the way that he played in, with the Rams was more in line with they were offense was maybe ahead of its time a bit um, in terms of how they spread the field, um, at the same time, I also watched Isaac Bruce make some pretty darn good plays with the San Francisco 49ers when they weren't doing what the the Rams were doing. So, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of hope for a guy like Flowers and, and what his abilities entail. So, um, you know, we look at Antonio Brown in the past, you know, at the height of his career, similar type of size guy, uh, maybe a little bit heavier, maybe about, you know, eight to nine pounds heavier. But still, Flowers should do the trick for you, especially the way that they will spread things out. Interesting. I want to ask you before we move off wide receivers and we could spend all of our time talking about wide receivers because I've got a long list, but uh, I want to ask you, let's just wrap it up this way. Let's say the Giants go cornerback or go center or do whatever they're going to do there in the first round and, and leave the wide receiver position for a later. Just give me one or two guys, you know, we talk about, you know, bang the table for whoever. Day two, day three, just one or two guys that that you would, you know, bang the table for and say, this guy's going to be better than people think. Sure. Early day two, I think Jaden Reed at Michigan State is that Stefan Diggs, Lavernius Coles type of player. Um, I think, you know, again, there's some... Small flaws with his hands and routes, but I think that that's the difference between him being a contributor in year one and not really taking over, and then the following year he gets it together, or him just starting out of the gate really strong. He can play all three positions. To me, if you if you don't get Zay Flowers in round one, Jaden Reed in the early part of day two is someone that I would feel really good about. Um I would also add, if you want to go with a player of a different size, maybe, you know, you know, round three, late round two, Jonathan Mingo of Ole Miss. I'm a, I'm a fan, 6'2", 220. He's not as physical as Anquan Bolden was. He's, he's not as refined of a route runner as um, A.J. Brown. Um, but I think he's going to be a player who's in that slot flanker type of role where you can move him around and get strong production as a vertical player as well as a blocker and a and a route runner who can who can um, run screens and things like that so you give your offense some diversity there and then the last player 
that I'm just going to mention just because I like him and I and I think that he's a he's an interesting guy. Maybe in day three, um, and might even be late day three, is Grant Dubose out of Charlotte. He's kind of a Reggie Wayne, Daryl Jackson type of player who's not unbelievably fast, but he gets separation with his his initial acceleration, quick, 6'2", 200 pounds, reliable, good after the catch, wins in the red zone, um, someone that I think could contribute early, even as a late-round pick. Interesting. I'll just ask you one quick question about Mingo, because it, in the in the stuff that was available to me, and I don't have access to everything in terms of tape and all of that that, that you do, I watched and I watched and I watched because I've been reading about Mingo and, and and thinking, I just don't see it. I don't see plays. I don't see the ball coming to him. And and my question is, yeah, how much did you watch to see what you needed to see with Mingo? Sure. Well, I mean, generally what happens is with my process, I will chart somewhere between four to six games of a player. Um and just chart everything they do. So I watch, I, I charted five games, and then I usually watch it, the entire season, if not two seasons worth of tape with a guy in addition to that. Um, I just don't chart it. Um, but what I was able to see is, one is I saw tight coverage plays, didn't have a ton of them, um, but what I, what I charted, he, he was 80% as a receiver in terms of a catch rate, on tight coverage plays, um, which is pretty strong. Um, And when you look at, I saw him in the vertical game against, I believe it was against LSU, if I remember correctly. Yep, against LSU, I saw a vertical play. I've seen some shot plays with him where he does a good job tracking the ball and getting separation and showing um, good, good skills that he can build on from that perspective. So, you know, it the it took it takes a little longer to find that with that guy because of that offense, um, but you see enough of him to say, yeah, he can pass muster in that regard. Yeah, and that is one of the things that that you always mention in in your RSP, which is that you know in whatever process you use, you have to watch enough to see what you need to see. If it's not the, you know if you don't see it yet, you just have to keep watching more until you see examples of everything. And and if you don't, then you got to let people know, you know, he he I haven't seen this guy do it and and I'm not I'm not giving him credit for it. So right. he's going to be lower scored than than maybe what he actually can do. Right. So. Which I think is where I am on Mingo, but but anyway, let's move on to to another position and I actually want to jump to quarterback. Okay. Because, first of all, we've had discussions over the years about Daniel Jones. And I know that almost a little bit like where you put Will Levis right now, I think you had Daniel Jones back in the day in the sort of robo-quarterback category where, where he could do what he was told to do, where he could execute what he was told to execute but that the the creativity and, and all of that maybe wasn't there. And what I'm interested in before we talk about maybe some 
some late, you know, or some day three quarterbacks that the Giants might want to add. Um, I'm just interested in your thoughts on Daniel Jones' development, the year he had in 2022, and the four-year $160 million contract that he got. Yeah, well, you know, I think from the market standpoint, he did well for what he needed for where they're at, which is kind of a reflection of let's give him another year. Let's see where we're, you know, let's see where we're going. Um, we, he did a good job last year. I mean, so to his credit, you know, I had, I had Jones probably higher than I have Levis, but I was definitely lower on Jones than most. I felt like that his first round taking him early day one was a reach for a guy that I felt like was going to need a longer development path than what he was being, than what was being advertised. Uh, so when you look at Jones, I, I think that they, he's got a good fit with the system that he's in. And when we look at, when we look at, he gets a little bit more time to basically prove I'm worthy of being a long-term franchise guy. Absolutely. And, uh, for uh, just for for reference and folks that that haven't you know plunked down the 2195 and bought your guide yet and and if you haven't bought the guide it's worth the money so so go ahead and do that but this is one of those examples we talked about at the top of the show where your grades on a player are wildly different than the the media perception or the the NFL draft community perception at large. And I don't want to get into a long discussion about Will Levis, but you have Will Levis as QB 13. Yeah. And and, and that would put him in the day three range. Yes. So it's just one of those things to remember, folks. If Will Levis bombs as an NFL quarterback, Matt Waldman was all over it. Well, you know, the across, you know, the, across the way, you know, I was I was lower on Zach Wilson than most. Um, so, you know, I've certainly had my misses. I mean, I remember back in the day I really liked Blaine Gabbert and you could look at that and how <laughs> see how that turned out. Um, but, you know, at the same time I also like Patrick Mahomes as a generational difference maker. Um, and and looked at guys like Zach Wilson and Drew Locke and Mitchell Trubisky and was much lower on those guys. Um, when I look at Will Levis, the, the issue that I have with him is that we talk about that robo quarterback idea of that, that the NFL traditionally, they want the guys with the prototypical size, arm strength, played in a system where they see them make drops and throw in a rhythm. And that's all good, but it's all superficial because what they're learning and Chris, um, you know, uh, Rick Spielman, the former GM of the Vikings said this on a show on the athletic last year before the draft, which is, which is fitting for what I've, I've learned over the years and known is that, um, through talking with other NFL people, um, is that they are, teams are starting to come around to the idea that processing speed is one of the most important things that you can look for. And it's one of the most difficult things to try and ascertain through their traditional means. Um, you know, they, they try to do it through the academic end, which is whiteboarding, you know, and having meetings and seeing what their recall is at, on a, uh, from a memory standpoint, the, the wonder lick in the past, things like that. But what that teach it, what you're learning is basically 
rote intelligence or intelligence where you just you know it's about writing things down it's not the it's not the intelligence that comes from motor awareness spatial awareness the ability to integrate different skills onto the field that are both you know technical physical emotional um you have to have the confidence level you know a guy like Alex Smith would ace the whiteboard fortune of a of a team meeting and and every year you're going to hear about players who have the recall of a coach but then you put them out on the field and they have to have the confidence that the minute that they the the split second that they see the advantageous leverage for the receiver before he makes his break they need to let that ball go and the the best players at the quarterback position there's very little if any hesitation between um, identification and action of that point. Alex Smith was a guy, even as he became a Pro Bowl level producer on occasion with a good team, you would see him pat the ball, um, hop two or three beats longer, and miss the throw. And it would be in situations where the defense was like, We're going to make you make this play, and it's late, and you got to make it to win this game and the ball would be behind or too far ahead or over. It would be, and it was usually due to timing. Baker Mayfield had the same issues, even though his accuracy percentage at Oklahoma was great. So when I look at Will Levis, he's consistently two to three beats behind where he needs to be to get the ball out. That's a that's a confidence issue in terms of what recognizing what you see. It's like a comedian hitting their mark on stage telling a joke, and the joke could be killer, but they could mangle it because they simply don't have good timing. And with Levis, you have that. You also have a lot of footwork issues. I mean, usually you want the, the midline of your back foot aligned with where the target's going to be. You want your front toe to be pointed to where the target's going to be. Will Levis, for whatever reason, he doesn't, he has maybe the midline of the back foot pointed towards where the target is, not where it's going to be. And then he has the, the toe pointed way off in space somewhere, like the feet aren't aligned at all. And then when he's th- delivering the ball, as he releases the ball, he's trying to flip his feet into the position to where the ball, where it needs to be. And he's often just off target on a level that you would project needs to be there for the NFL. Can he fix that? I would think so, but he's had a quarterback coach um, – who just came over from the NFL, who's been a quarterback coach for one year with a number of teams um, over the past five to seven years, Atlanta, the, the um, Denver, um, 49ers, all series of one-year deals. Um, and he came over and he was coaching Will Levis. Now, you know, to, to give, um, to kind of defend the coach, you know, they usually coach game plan and scheme. They're not usually coaching footwork. That's something that a, a player has to work on on their own, especially with the amount of time they have in college. But for whatever reason, Will Levis, he's at a point in his career where this has got to be fixed and it's ingrained in him at this point that he's going to need at least a year to get that together. And then in terms of the timing of getting rid of the ball and processing the field fast enough, if that's already slow, that's a hard thing to teach and a hard thing to get better at. Um, so I have real doubts about him. He's going to get drafted early. Um, but, you know, like Malik Willis last year, I looked at him and I thought, 
yeah, I'm not not feeling either of those guys <laughs> in terms of where they need to be. And they're and they they ended up being scored pretty low. I I think I had Brock Purdy rated higher than both that I had Brock Purdy rated higher than Malik Willis. I had Purdy I think sixth on my board or either fourth or sixth somewhere around there. All right, that's a perfect lead in to getting to the quarterback piece that we need to get to with the Giants. They don't need to draft a guy on day one. Yeah. Um, They're not going to do that. They've got Tyrod Taylor for another year as QB2. Davis Webb just retired to go into the coaching profession. What the Giants really need at the quarterback position or could use at the quarterback position is a young developmental player who could become you know, a reliable backup, occasional spot starter, because if they're going to go forward with Daniel Jones, you know, he gets hurt. All quarterbacks get hurt on occasion, you know, the way the NFL is right now. So give me a couple of guys that you think, you know, maybe aren't going to be, you know, Brock Purdy, but you know, everybody's looking for that Brock Purdy now sure. on day three. But give me so just give me a couple guys you think could be that capable backup spot starter, you know, guy that could develop into that role for the Giants. And it's funny, Ed, I can go right down the line four through six on my board right now, and those three guys fit the bill. The Jake Hayner out of Fresno State, he doesn't have the arm that you that people are gonna love about quarterback prospects who might develop into starters, but most late round guys don't develop into starters. Um, The good late round guys that end up having careers in the league may not have great arms, but they have great processing skills. They they manage the pocket well. Um, They can create out of structure, even without the arm. Jake Hayner is all of those things. Um, To me, he compares probably the most to a Brock Purdy type of player kind of in that if things go south for him and they're not as good as Purdy, he's more of a Brian Hoyer type or a Brett Rippon type. But I think he's in that mold of a player that um, very compelling. And then Stetson Bennett. Stetson ben- Bennett out of Georgia, he does have a better arm than I think people understand because they see him as a 5'11 player, 192. How much of an arm can he really have? He played at Georgia Georgia generally seems to be liking the Jake Fromm, Eric Zire types of players who are kind of heady college players with reasonable athletic ability, but not the great size and arm strength. But Bennett has a good arm. He actually has that slot receiver's athletic ability in terms of his acceleration and change of direction quickness. He moves around the pocket well. He's willing to create and make tight throws. He's obviously been in big games, and you see the kind of plays that he makes. He can be a little streaky at times, um, but I think he has an opportunity to be a second contract starter eventually. Um, and then the third guy is Tyson Bajan out of Shepherd University in West Virginia. Um, he's 6'2", 213. Um, he has really nice arm talent. He has promising accuracy. Um, he moves well in the pocket from what I've seen. Now, again, Shepard is a different animal than playing, say, in the SEC or ACC against top pass rushers there. But what he does in terms of the efficiency of his movement, the ability to keep his feet under him when he throws the football, those are all things that translate pretty well. And I could see him becoming a, you know, maybe one day becoming a Kirk Cousins like 
player. Now, not maybe as good as Cousins has turned into, but someone who can hold the fort down the way Cousins did at least earlier in his career with Washington. Um, but maybe you weren't you you're not relying on him as a week in and week out starter. If he can grow beyond that, you might end up having a guy who can be a starter. All right, let's uh, let's move on to the running back position. And we know the situation with the Giants. We know they have Saquon Barkley. We know they're not drafting Bijan Robinson from, from Alabama. They're not picking a first-round running back. That's not happening. But when you look at Barkley, right now he's on the franchise tag, hasn't, hasn't signed the tag, Looks like negotiations between the Giants and Barkley have sort of uh, reached a standstill at this point. Barkley seems to have one view of his value, and and the Giants seem to have another view of his value. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if when the two sides get back to the table that that $12.5 million a year offer that was on the table for Barkley a few months ago has evaporated into something that's more like 8 or $9 million a year. So all of that's a long preamble that says the Giants probably need to go into the draft, and if they find a guy they think can not only be a backup for Barkley, maybe in the middle of the draft, might be a guy who could take over as the primary guy in a committee or whatever, um, you know, if they move on from Saquon in a year. So what we're looking at, Matt, are, you know, those kinds of players, those kinds of guys that would really be value, you know, on, on day two, day three, you know, guys who can, who have enough skills, you know, a varied enough skill set, you know, to be a big part of a committee. Yeah. And, it's a tough situation for running backs in the NFL. And we saw it play out with Melvin Gordon, who wasn't as good as Saquon Barkley. But for a time with the Chargers a few years ago, you you could see why he could see in his head that he was an elite running back, even if you could nitpick and say, not quite. And and if you're so the the value that they see themselves versus the value that the NFL had it can be a stark difference and it can be kind of jarring for a guy in mid-career form. Guys on this list, I mean, listen, you can start at the top of the board in terms of um, near the top of the board in terms of day two. Tajay Spears out of Tulane. I absolutely love what Tajay Spears brings to the table. I think he's the closest thing we've seen to Jamal Charles entering this draft in a long time. I don't, you know, he is bold with his decision-making. He's a creative player. He's tough. He's a ver- he's a good pass catcher. Even if you don't see a lot of it on his tape, the co- the quality that you do see, such as late game back shoulder fade route split outside and overtime as a matchup receiver and see the technique that he used to be able to win a ball like that goes a long way. He is... Um, you know, he came off an ACL tear two years ago, um, but he still has just terrific explosion and change of direction quickness. He can do it very efficiently. But just, you know, one thing that I look for with running backs is you want to see how many gather steps they need to work from a sideline approach towards a perimeter play and then cutting it downhill. Can they 
can they do it in at least one to two gather steps? If they can do it with at least one to two gather steps there before they cut downhill to transition, um, that's somebody who can contribute. If they can do it consistently with one step, they're a starter. They have starter caliber skill in that area. Um, Tajay Spears doesn't need any gather steps. Even when he's working from the far side hash or like from one side hash to the opposite flat or boundary and getting gathering up a good bit of momentum and speed, he can bend downhill just by with curvy linear movement, just bending around without taking a gather step. When you have someone who can flip their hips that way or bend with good ankle flexion like that and not lose speed and accelerate through it, that's a that's pretty special. Um, so I'm a big fan of Spears. Not not the biggest guy. So, you know, that's the thing is that there will be teams that will feel like they have to pair him up in a committee as the lead back. A guy who does, who may have more of that size, even though he showed up at the combine at 200 pounds, let's remember that 20-year-olds, 21-year-olds, you know, back in the day when we were 20, 21 years old, 10 pounds was nothing. It just was the difference between whether you played full court basketball one day and didn't eat a lot <laughs> and whether you, or, and whether or not you had a plate of brownies that you're, you, you know, that, that, that a friend of yours made, you know, whatever it is, Zach Evans showed up at 202 pounds, but when you watch him on the field, he looks like he's more like 210. And then in his pro day, he was a 208. Um, and he probably cut the weight to try and maximize what his speed could be. But when you look at him on the field, the speed's there, the acceleration's there. He was, he gets knocked because he had this quixotic recruiting journey where he originally was going to go with the University of Georgia as a, a five-star prospect. And what people don't realize is that his grandfather was a big part of his life. And his grandfather passed away the year before his recruiting happened. Um, or And he took it on himself because apparently his parents... Um, his grandparent was a big part of his life for a reason. And I think that his, his parents may not have been equipped to be in the situation to be, to offer the guidance that, that, uh, that he could have used. And so he made some immature decisions in terms of trying to changing his mind. And he wound up like being linked to several teams and wound up at TCU and he lost some of his stars, which is ooh big deal. And, you know, that doesn't really matter for NFL stuff. But he was a good student, honor roll student, um, even in college. Um, and he transferred to Ole Miss. And people were like, well, that looks bad because TCU went to the national championship and you transferred the year before. Well, what a lot of people don't realize either is Gary Patterson was telling the public, we have 30 players who are threatening to transfer right now because our NIL deal hasn't been worked out with the school the way it should be. And we're about to lose a, a significant portion of our football team. And, you know, Evans was splitting time with a guy by the name of Kendra Miller. And th that's another guy that I would look at. Evans and Miller both have the explosion. They both can run for power. They both can make the first man miss. Um, Evans is a better pass protector right now than Miller, but Kendra Miller has the potential. Um, he earns pretty good position. His punch is decent, but he overextends. He can get better at that. Evans is a good blocker right now. Evans is also a good receiver. Miller is talented as a pass catcher, but maybe not quite the route runner that Evans is. Evans, to me, is a Dalvin Cook, Clinton Portis type of back. Um, he's that good. I think he's going to fall because of 
the sur- surface level stuff and the lack of every year, year in, year out production. But somebody who does their due diligence on him, and I could be wrong because I don't do the investigation part, but what I did see, it seemed pretty apparent to me that all the smoke about him is are minor things. And there's going to be a couple teams that do their due diligence and go, this is a smart kid, academically good in school, who just, you know, some minor immaturity things that most 18-year-olds would probably have difficulty, and they probably would have screwed this up more than he did. Um, so I'm a big fan. Miller, too. Miller reminds me a little bit of Lamar Miller, the uh, the former Miami Dolphins. Smooth as can be as an accelerator. Um, and I think he's a guy that you can get probably third round, maybe fourth round. Um, and then if I were to, to end it as like some guys that could potentially be starters, Tyon Evans you can probably get late because not many people know much about him. Out of Louisville, went to Hutchinson Community College um, a couple years before. So he's been at Tennessee, Hutchinson, Tennessee as a starter, and then Louisville as a starter. He's 5'9", 225, 4'5", speed. I think he's the sleeper of this class. Um, he's got, you know, his athletic ability is kind of in that range of Ray Rice and, and Travis Henry. He can break tackles. He can slash. He can um, make good cutback plays. He's a strong option. And then I would... I like Sean Tucker. I, you know, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, if I can interrupt you quickly, yeah. I'm glad you brought up Tucker because he's a guy that I wanted to ask you about. And let me say this. I like Tucker and it's not just because I live in upstate New York and he played for Syracuse. I look at Tucker and I don't necessarily see a speed home run hitter. I don't necessarily see the most elusive guy in the world. I don't see the the best wide receiver, you know, among the class, but I see a guy who can do all of those things at at somewhat of an efficient level. And and I mean some people think I read some reports on the guy, some people think he's just a guy who's a late round pick who's not going to do anything. But I look at the guy and 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 I I have a hard time seeing why he's not getting more love. Yeah, I got to be honest. I agree. I mean, I have him as a rotational starter right now. He's he's my eleventh back on my board, but it's a good class. And there, to me, there's twelve backs in this class <clears throat> who I think could eventually be lead backs in a, in a committee. And I think Sean Tucker is definitely one of them. I saw speed. I don't know if it's it's going to translate from what I saw on the field, but I thought his acceleration was one some of the most. He had the most notable acceleration pretty much of any back that I watched this year um, in terms of just how quickly he gets up to his top speed. And that may be the difference with him. He reminds me of a guy who got drafted by the Cardinals and had an ACL tear out of Virginia Tech, Ryan Williams, who was a first-round pick, I believe. Um, and there's a little J.K. Dobbins to his game, who was a one of my favorite running backs to come out in the past three to four years. Um you know, Tucker Tucker can be a little bit more refined with what he does at the second level, but he's a good cutback runner. He seems to know when to do that. He has the, I think he has the explosion to run, you know, gap style plays where you just hit that hole hard. He doesn't have great power, but it's good enough. I, I think as a, if you're realistically thinking we have a good shot of keeping Barkley or we just need a guy who can do the work for us, 
you know, Tucker could be available later and you would feel good about that. Um, maybe even an Evan Hole, you know, out of who's kind of a Jeff Wilson type of back, if you ask me, can kind of do everything pretty well um, out of Northwestern. And he has good speed, good acceleration, change of direction. He's a well-rounded back. And I think he could coexist well with, uh, you know, with a number of players. And you would feel like that he could start for us if we need. He could be that secondary back in a committee if we decide to go earlier, if Barkley, um, if we part ways with Barkley. All right, Matt, let's, let's finish up with the tight end position. And again, this is another position where I would not expect the Giants to go early at tight end. I wouldn't expect them to go at 25 after bringing in Darren Waller. You know, they still have Daniel Bellinger. They have a couple of guys. They have Lawrence Cager, who's got a nice receiving skill set. But I would expect them, you know, at some point in the draft to try to add something to that room. And so I'm again, I'm curious about the the sort of beyond day one kinds of guys. And the one that the one that leaps to mind when I read your guide is Sam Laporta out of Iowa. I mean, you you have him with the Evan Ingram comp. And, and again, you said people don't realize how close his testing is to Evan Ingram's. And basically, you, you have him as Evan Ingram with more reliable hands. Yeah, yeah. And I, obviously, to Ingram's credit, he did a much better job um, this year in Jacksonville in terms of catching the football. Um, he kind of looked like what he did early on in his career in New York. Um, and he's just a smooth, savvy player, run, good runner after the catch, very good route runner. Um, I would be a little surprised if he winds up in New York. Um, but I think that if they get him, he's kind of that tight end that could – You, if you had him, I mean, I'm not saying he's, as, he's not as explosive as Darren Waller necessarily, but he is – Good enough. I mean, four, five, nine speed, you know, it's pretty nice for a tight end. He, I think he's going to be one of the most productive tight ends out of this class. Um, so I'm a big fan of his work. He's not a great blocker, but when you have Bellinger, um, you know, you could, you could keep Waller outside and you, if you, if they did take Laporta, then that would mean they feel like Bellinger can be the, the inside, the, the inline guy who can play, the shallow ranges of the field. Laporta can be the second tight end who you can also do screen plays with and and he'll get yards after the catch for you as well as stretch the intermediate seam and you can keep Waller outside. And then you could also use three tight end sets and a cup, either one of those guys, any of those three guys can at least be reasonably good pullers for you, lead blockers for you. Um, you know, I don't think Laporta's great at that right now, but he can get better. A similar guy, or maybe not a similar guy, but a guy that I think of if you're saying, you know what, we might not have Darren Waller long-term, and that might be the reason why you take a Laporta, is that you think, well, we can give him a couple years to get up to speed, and then we can have um, a shot at, you know, with some level of continuity in our offense if, if he develops to what we expect. So I would love Laporta in that respect. Um, Elijah Higgins, the, the receiver out of Stanford, listen, he came to the senior bowl and they, they said, why don't you practice at tight end? This is why we think you should be a tight end. 
and he he gained 10 pounds between the senior bowl and the combine um you know which shows his commitment to me a commitment to want to be a tight end um and you could give him a couple years to get up to speed he's a good receiver um certainly someone that can run um strong routes he could eventually be that type of player that you could fit him in and have him be the replacement to Waller down the line. Um, if you're looking for more continuity with, say, Daniel Bellinger, and you're saying, you know, these bigger guys get beat up a little bit more often, um, or the guys playing in line get beat up more often, we need someone who can, you know, get some yards after the catch because they're rugged. They can make the first guy miss, but they're not going to stretch the seam a lot. They'll get maybe some intermediate targets in zone, but mostly they're they're going to block and play in the flats, and we need quick, strong dudes. Purdue's Payne Durham, who's 6'5", 255, has some of the best hands in this class. He just is not fast, um, but he is very quick. Um, he's a good blocker. Um, Josh Weil of Cincinnati, 6'6", 248. He's one of those guys that could round into a one of those unicorns, 6'5", 6'6", 260, who can do everything well. It's whether or not they can stay healthy. Um, he could be, he has excellent catch radius, um, has some promise as a blocker. That's a guy that I would feel pretty, you know, feel like you could get probably a little bit later on. Um, and then, uh, another one that kind of fits that, fits that bill. If you just really want to go for broke and say, I'm hoping I can get the next Jimmy Graham, you know, type of player, um, it's a long shot that happens, but Zach Kuntz out of Old Dominion, um, the former Pennsylvania star, um, high school star, 6'7", 255. If you look at Princeton's Andre Iosivas, the wide receiver who got compared athletically to Christian Watson, Zach Kuntz tops him in every metric category of workout other than the 40, and it's not that far away, and he's four inches taller and 50 pounds heavier. Um, so... Catching the ball is a bit of an issue for him. He makes a lot of the catches you would exp- you want to see, but then he also uses techniques where he drops the ball. It's like bookended. Like good <laughs> plays are bookended by a lot of bad ones that he should make. Um, but if he can figure it out and become consistent, you have your and and actually play to his speed, which I have questions about. I always thought Mike Jacecki never played to his speed. Um, you know, I think Zach Kuntz is another one of those former Penn State guys who transferred to Old Dominion who just didn't play to his speed. And when you had Pat Fryermuth who didn't have speed but played to speed, <laughs> you know, who played who played fast on the field, it was a stark contrast between the two. Well, that's why you can't get enamored with testing numbers. You right. can't get enamored with what you see guys run and jump at the combine. If it doesn't match what they do on film, you know, what what you do on film with pads on always has to trump, you know, how fast you can run. That's so true. And it's, there's a great, I wish I could reference the title of the YouTube video, but there's a great video on YouTube. I remember seeing over a decade ago where a coach was like, here's a, here's two college receivers. One of them is a four, four has four, four speed. Can you tell which one it is? And he has them running, you know, he has them both running the same route. And the guy who had a 4-7 time was clearly the faster receiver on the field than the guy who ran the 4-4 time. And he was like, the difference is, is that one of them has to think while they're playing. 
one of them doesn't. And the, the one who doesn't has ingrained the skills to play at a certain level. He's also quick. And quickness makes more difference than speed in certain areas of the game. And again, there are guys, but he said the difference, he said the same, at the same time, the 4-4 guy was quicker than the guy who, who looked quick. And mm-hmm. none of that, none of that mattered because it's about how quickly you process information and whether or not how you, all the things that you can do, you can do at the speed of instinct, at the speed of reaction. And all of that is why it is so hard to predict how any of these guys are actually going to translate to the NFL. And it's why the, I think why the, the hit rate is so low on a lot of these guys. Yeah. I mean, these are, they're 20, they're 20 something years old. You know, it's a injuries are a big deal. Um, Confidence is a big factor. Um, You know, I remember talking to Ben Watson when I was interviewing him for a feature in my other career a long time ago and just said, what's it like playing difference? You played at Duke, you played at Georgia. These are big schools. What's it like playing for the new England Patriots? Was there a difference? And he said, it's a world of difference. He said, because when he said, I remember my first game and I remember being in the locker room and it struck me the way how intense and serious everyone was that I was with a bunch of grown men who were paying their mortgages, who were paying for their families' mortgages, who had, you know, it was this was serious football. He said it was it was a whole other level of intensity. And he goes, mm-hmm. you it's just like the difference between playing at the if you're a musician, playing at the shopping mall, at the food court, and playing at Carnegie Hall. There's just a gravity. There's a major difference in gravity. It doesn't matter if the CEO of Virgin American Records is actually at the shopping mall watching you and and people dressing up in tuxes paying a lot more per ticket at Carnegie Hall. And you, you know, you're gonna go to the place, the place that has the the greater gravity means there's pressure and you're gonna overthink things, you're gonna think too long, you're not gonna trust yourself as much unless you're really prepared. And that's the that small margin of error. And there are guys who think they made it. That's the other thing. There's guys who think they made it after their first year, and then defenses adjust because you know they take four to six games to really look at the tape and say, what are the two to three things we can implement to our game plan to stop that quarterback who's going off as a rookie and looks great? And then they start gradually adding things based on the the, the book that gets developed. And by games eight to 12, suddenly they're shutting down this quarterback or this receiver or this running back. They're doing things that that they haven't seen yet. And now they have to adjust and they can lose confidence if they don't work at the craft. So it's a, it's a very different game. And those things are more important than a lot of the stuff that we talk about that we can tangibly look at. And it's, it, it comes down to what's in a guy's heart sometimes and what's in his head and and his his willingness to to work at his craft and and those are things that that none of us can know really without you know even teams get that wrong with as much information and as much contact as they have with guys even teams get that wrong and that's why this whole thing can be can be such a mystery yeah, it's a it's exciting to learn more. You know, for me, I love doing this because it's fun to learn about the game, 
And you learn a lot about the game by studying players and studying these techniques and skills. But ultimately, yeah, it's, it, there's a mystery involved because even with the way teams interview, teams interview quite differently. So, you know, a guy that, I, that I've that i known for a while who's an RSP, subscri- RSP subscriber who worked with a lot of teams as a consultant directly with GMs in the fields of analytics and scouting. He was a, he was a D one player. He was a scout for a number of teams. And then he was a consultant for over 20 teams in the NFL over a period of time and does, you know, has, has degree specialties and things that are just really fascinating. But, uh, you know, we would talk about this and he would say the way they interview players you know, he said some teams have it together. They hire industrial psychologists. They hire people with law enforcement backgrounds who understand how to interview folks. He said, and they will make the, they will look at the reports. They will dictate how the questions are asked, whether it's scouts asking the questions or, or whether it's them asking the questions. And then they will disseminate the information and figure out what to make of everything. Other teams will ask their 20-year-old, 25-year-old, 30-year-old, 35-year-old scouts who have no experience in these fields to come up with their own questions to interview people. And the difference can be, you know, I'll end it with this way, is the difference can be this. They can go to a club or to a college team to interview a player and say, what's this guy like? And he goes, well, he goes out a lot. You know, he's out, he's out. he loves his social life. And so... You know, one team might say that and they may write up and editorialize, he's a partier. We don't want him. Okay. And then they buy that. And then what ends up happening is that another team comes, they hear that and they go, well, where does he like to frequent? Well, there's this club downtown. It's called, you know, O'Malley's. I like to go to O'Malley's. So he go, they go to O'Malley's. He starts talking to the bar staff and wait staff, shows a picture of the kid. You see this kid here? Oh yeah, he comes in here you know, three times a week. Um, how long, you know, how long is he here? Um, a couple hours. Okay. Leaves, tells the staff he's out on the, he's going to the clubs like three times a week. And that's an issue. The The third team could be the one that gets it. They do all the, the, the second team did, but then they go, well, how long is he here? About an hour and a half. When does he get here? About eight o'clock. Okay. Um, does he drink? No, he brings his own. He brings his own water bottle, and he and he comes in here with like the same three friends. They talk to they talk to some buddies for a little bit, listen to some music, maybe he dances with a girl or two, um, and then he leaves by with his friends with his water bottle, doesn't order a drink, and he does this three nights a week. And there's a stark difference in how you ask those questions. And mm-hmm. that ex- there's an expertise with that. And I've literally been told that story by someone who said, this is a good example of what happens from team to team. Some teams get it. Some teams don't. And that's what makes it fun. And Matt, I think that's a, a good place f- for us to end. Why don't you... Uh, just tell folks where they can uh, where they can pick up your guide a little bit about your guide if they're if they're not familiar with it. Sure, you know this is my 18th year doing the rookie scouting portfolio. It's a solely a, an analysis of um, 150 quarterbacks, running backs, and wide receivers. Um, it is one of the two most purchased independent draft guides um, by 
NFL personnel that visit college programs, according to guys like Alex Brown, who's the director of recruiting at SMU, who's also worked at Rice in Houston and has told me, you know, when I visit with these guys to talk about my players, I see what they're looking at. I ask them what they're looking at. And invariably, the RSP is one of the two most um, purchased. And from that perspective, it's a both fan. I, I write for a fantasy football website, footballguys.com. I've been there since 2009. I've been doing the RSP since 2006. I, so I, I give a kind of a fantasy slant about some things, but I always root everything in football. Um, and you get rankings, you get complete scouting reports. Um, I take you through my process. Everything's defined so that you really get a good understanding of how, how I'm looking at the position, how the things have changed with how teams are drafting the position, um, where I think it may be going, as well as what the individual players are doing, where they can get better, where it's going to be harder for them to get better, what they do well on a number of levels. We talk about technique. We define a lot of those techniques and traits and skills. And uh, you get a post-draft with it a week after the draft. That's more of a fantasy-focused thing where I give a cheat sheet and I give you my rankings versus what the average draft position of um, you know players is going basically after the NFL draft in fantasy leagues. And I give you a sweet spot. So like if I like Nick Chubb or Cooper Cup, A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson or Patrick Mahomes more than most, and I did, then you... I don't say draft them in the first round and the overall first pick if the average draft position for them is the late second round. I'll give you a spot that says you can get them at a value here and make and you're likely going to get them here without getting someone sniping you. Um, but you don't have to pay the 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 sticker price to get the guy. Um, so you get all of that plus a newsletter. It's all available for $21.95 at mattwaldman.com. Um, and a portion of the proceeds, up to $5,000 each year, is donated to an organization called Darkness to Light, D2L.org. They're an organization devoted to educating the public about how to prevent sexual abuse of children. And uh, through training programs, they've worked with schools like Penn State and Michigan State out in the wake of what happened with um, you know, the, the controversies there and the crimes there. Um, they also work with individuals and civic groups. Um, and they teach people also how to handle the issue when it invariably does happen so that kids aren't, the, the victimization isn't com compounded inadvertently. It's a great organization and the RSPs donated over $55,000 since 2012 to D2L. And we're, we're hoping to be able to do the same thing this year. All right, definitely a worthy cause. And uh, bottom line, folks, spend the money. You'll be a lot smarter after you put aside a weekend and, and read the uh, thousand pages or so. So, Matt, we always appreciate uh, your time. And uh, Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Please remember to stay safe out there, take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye now. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, 
fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.